All right, I'm getting older. I'm a graduate of the school, class of 1843. <laughs> I'll retire one of these days. Well, it's been a while since I preached a sermon uh, to our church. I'm uh, very excited to do so. Um, I counted a privilege to uh, teach and preach the Word of God. Um, it's one of the things I enjoy doing here in our church on a regular basis is teaching the adult Sunday school class. And um, I also just appreciate myself personally in doing the study and preparation uh, for things like this or for my Sunday school, uh, the personal growth I have. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the Word of God. It's our handbook for life. It, it's what gives us guidance on how to live life successfully. Uh, so I do count it a privilege uh, to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. It's a little bit different. First Sunday without uh, Pastor Brent uh, here with us. Uh, so I know this is definitely a transition uh, Sunday for us. And so our prayers, of course, are with them and um, we pray for their success and for the Lord's blessing on them as they're up in Washington. Uh, but in like manner, uh, we're praying that for ourselves. All right, that's the title of the sermon I have this morning, but can I pause on that for just a moment? Let me do a little side uh, thought here before we um, look a little bit at the topic of prayer uh, this morning. So I'll come back to that. Uh, this is kind of motivated by you know, some of my thoughts on the fact that we are in this uh, transition time. Um, not long ago, unrelated to preaching, long before I ever knew that I was going to be asked by the deacons to preach this morning, um, I had um, been reading um, something on the internet that brought me to uh, this thought here. And uh, so as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know what, I just feel from my heart that I would like to share this, because here we are, first Sunday, without our pastor here, uh, to remind ourselves a little bit about uh, this simple model of church uh, from the scriptures. Uh, as you can see there, Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42 uh, says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Well, that's what the um, early church uh, did. Um, the website where I happen to be um, reading from, uh, the guy that wrote that, uh, said the early church was a simple model where believers came together to hear the word taught, to pray together, to take communion, and to fellowship, which you see right there in that verse. Now, that website didn't um, quote that verse, but I'm sure that's the verse he had in mind because that's the four things that are in this verse. Um, they got together to hear the word taught. That's the apostles' doctrine. The word doctrine just means teaching. So they got together, they continued steadfastly as a local body of believers uh, in the apostles' teaching. So they got together to hear the word of God taught. Then it says there, and in fellowship. Um, I, I appreciate the fellowship that we're going to have this morning. And in breaking of bread, uh, that is uh, the bread of communion, likely, although I was looking at one commentator on that, and maybe there's a little bit uncertainty. Is that just them getting together uh, for meals? Possibly, uh, but more probably it's speaking specifically of breaking uh, bread in communion, and which, of course, we're going to be doing uh, this morning, being the first Sunday of the month, and in prayers. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us to do it once a month. The Bible doesn't give specific instructions on communion. Uh, so it's been our church's tradition to do it once a month. Um, but the Bible says, as often as you do it, this do in remembrance of me. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, happy and glad this morning to break bread with you. And in prayers. 
I'm encouraged this morning that you're here. I hope that you're encouraged if, if you were to look around the room. I, I thought about, I, I, in the end, I, I maybe I'm not going to have you do this, but I almost thought about having everyone just stand and like everyone turn and face like the center of the room and just look around. You know, we're here. Pastor Brent's not here. The Lord's called him somewhere else, but we're here. And um, I'm encouraged that you're here. And I hope that you're encouraged. We're a body of believers that uh, are coming together to hear the word of God taught, as this verse says, to fellowship together, uh, to break bread and um, maybe in eating meals together, uh, but especially uh, doing communion together and in prayer together. And so I'm encouraged this morning uh, that you're here. Um, I would add to that, this verse isn't necessarily meant to be exhaustive on everything that a church would do. In fact, a church can do a lot of things and a lot of things that are not bad things to do. But this is definitely some... Uh, like a simple model. I might add to that uh, the word worship. Um, I like the word worship. I think back to the word worship. Its origins is in the word worth, worthship. Somewhere along the lines in English, it kind of morphed into worship. God is worthy. He, he's, he's worthy of our worthship. God is worthy to be listened to. That's the first thing you see on the slide. He gives us his word. It's worth listening to, coming to church, and hearing the word of God taught. We worship him through listening to his word taught. Okay, he's worthy of coming and remembering what he did on the cross, that uh, we come in communion to break the bread, this do in remembrance of me, remembering what Jesus did when he gave his body and his blood uh, for us. And so God is worthy to remember that and to honor that. Um, God is worthy to pray to. Jesus said that um, his house should be known as a house of prayer. Many of the Jewish leaders had made it into a place to make money, but it was to be a house of prayer. God's worthy to pray to. So really wrapped up in this verse is worship, and we often call this type of service a worship service. Uh, but we're worshiping God when we're doing those things on there. Uh, even fellowship uh, that is there. Um, Hebrews 10.25 gives us instructions, uh, says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, that we should be in regular fellowship coming to church. But it goes on to say, but exhorting one another. That's part of that fellowship, that we come together as a body of believers uh, to exhort each other, to, to encourage each other, uh, to not just uh, encourage each other emotionally, but just encourage each other as a local body of believers to honor uh, God and to further the kingdom of God. And so I'm encouraged this morning in that. Uh, Galatians 6.9 tells us not to be weary in well-doing, and so I hope that we won't be weary in this. Now, transition time, when you don't have a pastor, can be one of those times that naturally people in their humanness uh, can get a little discouraged and, and can get a little down, thinking, okay, we don't have a pastor, and we, and we desire... Uh, to have a local pastor, and we believe the Lord's going to provide that. Uh, but I want to just encourage you this morning that the church functions without that local pastor. Uh, as uh, Jeff was mentioning uh, this morning, uh, that uh, I think it was in Sunday school he mentioned it, that we have our Lord Jesus is the shepherd of the church. Now I remember Pastor Brent mentioned that. We might not have that local pastor for a little period of time, but he's the under-shepherd. We have the chief shepherd, Jesus, and so we are still intended to function as a local church and to still thrive 
and uh, be a beacon of light in Hollister and, uh, and be champions for the kingdom of God. All right, well, back to the main message this morning. Okay, effectual prayer. James 5.16 is where I get the title of that, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, effectual just means it's effective. It actually works. When you live the Christian life, do you ever have the thought in your mind that you want to be genuine? You don't want to just do this because it's what we're supposed to do? That in the case of prayer, like when you pray, you actually want to see prayer work. Uh, not just going through the emotions of prayer, uh, but have a genuineness to our Christian walk. We want to see the power of God in our lives. Well, that's what the effectual prayer is, the, the prayer that's effective, the prayer that actually works. So it tells us in this verse that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's effective. It, it, it matters. It works. Sometimes people wonder, does prayer work? Uh, does God answer prayer? We might have various reasons why we question that, why we wonder if God answers prayer. 1 John 5.14 tells us this, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Sometimes when we read a verse like that, it can be a little discouraging when we pray and then our prayer doesn't get answered. And it can be a little bit difficult in our minds thinking to ourselves, wait a minute, okay? Prayer is supposed to be effective. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, we have confidence in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. He's going to answer our prayer. And, and so then how do we reconcile this at times when we feel like our prayers are ineffective? I thought the Bible said they were going to be effective. I thought the Bible was going to say that we can have confidence that this is the case. Well, that's really what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Now, I'm going to jump to kind of a... a a final thought that I'm going to wrap things up with. I'm going to jump to that now uh, and say this. Uh, I've, I'm, in, I'm inspired. I'm, it's, it's on my heart to share this particular message this morning uh, because we're at a critical time where we as a body of believers need to be praying to the Lord for our next pastor. And I want to encourage us with that thought this morning that we as a local body of believers take seriously the instructions from scripture to be spirit-led and to be people of prayer having jumped to the end there and shared that thought i'm going to come back to that but i want to uh, focus though uh, this morning on effective prayer how are we going to have prayers that actually are effective and that um, th and that we see this happen that we have confidence in him. We ask something according to his will. He hears us. And we know that we're going to get our petitions answered. How are we going to have that kind of confidence in that? Well, as a kind of a, a thought before I get into some of the, the, the key points here this morning, I want to sh uh, focus in that uh, verse I just read, that we have confidence in him. 
So we, we hear people say things about prayer. Um, for example, the family that prays together stays together. Sometimes that's on billboards as you're driving down the road. I don't know, maybe. Uh, but I almost read behind that. I'm kind of reading between the lines on a billboard like that. Is, is the thought almost that a prayer is some sort of a little magic formula? Like, oh, we just pray, and then, bam, because we, we said this prayer, this is supposed to happen. Like, and the family that prays together, boom, automatically the family is going to be good and stay together. It's not going to be family problems. I mean, it's a nice thought. I kind of hope that that might be the case. But there's no reason from the scripture to think that just simply because you pray, there's some sort of an automatic formula that says you pray and this happens. You know, in, in the verse I read, 1 John 5, 14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. I mean, when we stop and think about it and remind ourselves of the truth that we probably already understand, it's God that's the power behind prayer. Prayer's not some sort of magic formula uh, where we just, we pray a prayer and then and somehow that prayer itself has the power to do things. Now, uh, an example similar to that, I was watching uh, some show on TV this uh, last week, kind of a documentary, I guess, or uh, reality show, I don't know what you want to call it. They were talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And they made comments about the Ark of the Covenant, that the power that the Ark of the Covenant had. It kind of reminded me as they were talking about that, you know, a line in um, the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, that the Ark of the Covenant had the power to level mountains and, you know, an army that has this, you know, marching in front of them is invincible. You're like, where do people get these things from? Yeah, there was a lot of power associated with it, but it was the power of God behind the Ark. The Ark was also a great curse to people that had it because God was against them when they were dishonoring him through how they were treating the Ark. So it, w- it was all about the power of God, and the same thing's true with our prayer. If we're not uh, connected with the Lord um, in our prayers, uh, the prayers aren't going to be uh, powerful. They're just words. There's a, an example in the scriptures that I'm going to come back to later, uh, but I'll introduce the particular event now. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's the great contest that took place between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah says in 1 Kings 18.21, he says, If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. But it was about the Lord, and we're going to see the power of the Lord when we look at that a little bit closer. It's the power of the Lord in prayer. It's not prayer itself as if it's what we're doing that has power. We don't have power. Like that verse in uh, John chapter 15, verse 5, Uh, We're told, with uh, Jesus speaking in the vine and branches example, without me, ye can do nothing. We have no power at all to bring about any kind of positive good through our human efforts. Literally, we can't do anything. If God removed his support for creation, it it would cease to exist. The Bible says he's the one that sustains things and keeps it going. Even our very life is dependent on him But putting that aside and and thinking, you know, from human terms, like maybe I can live apart from God, which we can't literally do that. But even if we could, we we have no power to have spiritual victories uh, without the Lord. And so, again, John 15, uh, 5, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. And so we need the Lord. The Lord's the power behind uh, prayer. 
Well, this morning, really, I'm focusing on this topic uh, related to prayer, hindrances to answered prayer. Because going back to that thought, does God always answer prayer? You know, we, we read that verse, that we'll have the petitions, we have the confidence, he's going to answer it. Okay, is that always the case? Well, we need to take the, the teachings of Scripture in totality on this, because the answer is no, God does not answer every prayer. In fact, in that uh, particular verse, it says this. This is the confidence that we have in him. Well, who's the we? I'll suggest to you from, that from the scriptures, the ones who have the confidence in prayer is not every person on the planet. That promise was not to everyone. And as we uh, go on in today's message, hopefully then we're reminded, either reminded of things that you already understood, and hope it's a good reminder, or maybe you learned something new in this. But here's what happens with the scriptures. People look at the scriptures, they see a promise, and they think that that applies to them. The promises regarding prayer do not apply to every person. I'll go a step further. They don't even apply to every Christian. And I think as um, we continue on, I'll support this from Scripture and show this to be the case and provide some examples. So we could get a little bit uh, more down to earth and down to home here. I'll, I'll speak to Christians in the room. Okay? I don't know if that's everyone or not. The Lord knows our hearts. Okay? But speaking to Christians, the Lord does not necessarily answer our prayers coming back to that overall thought that I had earlier. This is a critical time for our church to be in prayer to the Lord for our next pastor. But here's the scary part of it. The Lord doesn't always answer our prayers. So what are things that would be hindrances to answered prayer? Okay. Or, as the question says down below, why does God sometimes not answer the prayers of his children? Well, James 4, 2 is one example where our prayers are not answered. You lust, it says. Lust, like strong desire, oftentimes for something you shouldn't desire, uh, but you, you, you want things. You lust, and you have not. You kill and desire to have, you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not. In other words, people are often putting great efforts into getting what they want. And it says, yet you have not, because you ask not. Well, before we get into reasons why our prayers are not answered, James points out in, in chapter 4, verse 2, sometimes it's because we don't even bother praying in the first place. Now, that's not the focus of today's message, but certainly, as a church, we need to be praying. Not just for our next pastor, we need to be praying in general. I mean, how are we going to live the Christian life successfully if we're not bothering to seek the one who's the power behind the Christian life? And so, but James goes on from there um, to share additional thoughts, which we'll come back to in a little bit. So why does God sometimes not answer the prayer of his children? Well, here would be the first uh, thought this morning. Sometimes he does not answer the prayer of uh, his children, 
because of wrong motives. Now I'm, I'm scanning here, and I'm looking and saying, where is verse 3? Oh, okay, I'm, you know what, that's right. I remember how I organized, I got it on the next slide, okay. I'm thinking, I want to read James uh, 4, verse 3, and, I, and it's not there. I know it's got to be there. Next slide, we'll get to that in a moment, okay. You know, the scriptures tell us that in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the human heart is very deceitful. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, this is one of the struggles that we have, even with our own motives. Have you ever lied to yourself? You ever caught yourself in a lie? It's not me, that, just me that does that, right? You ever catch yourself in a lie? You tell yourself something that isn't true? I remember I got called on that once in college. A friend of mine, and I, and I think of him as a friend even more so after he called me on it. We were just sitting casually uh, in their dining common, eating a meal, and, and we were talking about the fact we were both in, uh, enrolled in Spanish. I don't think we were in the same uh, section, the same class, uh, but we were both studying Spanish. And, um, and, I, and I said regarding an assignment that we all had, they wanted us to go down to this lab and listen to these recordings of conversations in Spanish on a certain amount of minutes a week. And, and I said, man, I just don't have time to do that. And he, he said, that's not true. And I paused and I said, you're right, that's not true. <laughs> I lied, I lied to myself. I mean, it's just, it was so quick, you don't stop and think about it. But when he called me on it, I was like, yeah, that's not true. I'm just undisciplined. Uh, that was my big problem. Um, I was undisciplined. That's why I wasn't getting down there. I just didn't get down there. Uh, nothing about time. Uh, don't we often do that? Oh, I would do it if I only had the time. Hey, we've all got the same amount of time in the day, 24 hours. Uh, we, we choose to do what we decide to do. But we often lie to ourselves, usually in our favor. Uh, we want to make things feel better. As if I was saying to him, I would do it if I only had the time. So I really am a good guy. I really would complete that assignment if I only had the time. So it's not my fault. I don't have the time to do it. Yeah, right. Okay, no. You're just undisciplined. That was the problem. So, um, yeah, he called me on that. But th that stuck out to me as the first example that comes to my mind of a lie to myself. I think we do those things. The heart is deceitful above all things. Sometimes we lie to ourselves about our motives for doing things. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick. That, that word means alive. It's alive and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, as a sword can cut. The, the word of God piercing even to the dividing, discernment, splitting of soul and spirit, the joints and marred other... It gets right down inside of you, and it, it splits and discerns. Well, that's what my friend did. He, he helped me to discern between truth and lie. He got, you know, his words got in there and, and divided it apart plainly to see. The Bible does that, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, but our hearts are, are naturally deceitful. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to get off on the side topic, but maybe we could ask ourselves truthfully, why are we here this morning? Did we come to worship God, or did we have some other motive for being here this morning? Did we come to hear the word of God taught? Did we come to pray? Okay, did we come for fellowship or a communion? Did we come for these, th th this model that's there in Acts for why the church should be coming together? Um, or perhaps, do we have ulterior motives? I mentioned that 
Jesus said, and in, in this is Matthew chapter 21, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Uh, many uh, there in, in Judaism, uh, they found a money-making opportunity at church. One of the major ways is that people from out of town, when they came to do sacrifices, uh, it, sometimes they're coming from a long ways, they, they could buy animals to make their sacrifices there at the temple. And it became a great money-making opportunity that the Jewish leadership could sell sacrifice animals to the people and profit on it big time. Their motive was profit. And Jesus went into the temple, identified this motive of greed and even uh, hearts of stealing, and said to them, that's not what the temple worship's about. And he quotes the Old Testament saying, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. So our motives are uh, something for us to consider, and in, in specifically in regards to prayer, here's what James 4, verse 3 tells us. You ask, so now we're, James 4, 2 said, sometimes you don't get your prayer answered because you don't even bother praying, but now when you do pray, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, you ask for the wrong reason. And then it identifies that you may consume it upon your lust. You have desires that are not in line with right motives for what you're praying. And so sometimes you're just praying because your own greedy desires, your own selfish desires, that's what you're really after. And James says, don't be surprised when your prayer is not answered. You ask and you receive not. And so that's something for us to do self-examination on. When we go to the Lord in prayer, are we going to him with motives that are God-honoring? Remember, God's the power behind prayer. <clears throat> I think I have this in a later slide, but I'm going to quote it now. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us, Whatever you do, eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Do we really think God's going to answer a prayer that brings him dishonor just because we ask it? If our motive is not the glory of God, which the scriptures instruct for us, that everything we do is to be for the glory of God, then why would we expect our prayer to be answered when we ask amiss with wrong motives? Well, the scriptures teach us, don't expect that. You're not going to receive it. Okay, our second thought, why does God sometimes not answer the prayers of his children? Well, the thought here is sin in the heart or life. God reminded Joshua that he still has power. Joshua 7, verse 5. You might recall this account. There was a dinky little town called Ai. Okay. One of the easiest names to spell. Spell it like it is, Ai. <laughs> it was a little town. It was nothing compared to the town they just conquered, Jericho. And here they are a nation of two million plus people. And they're going up against this dinky little town of Ai and they think to themselves, we can take this town without a problem. They did not, um, I think as, as implied by the scripture, <coughs> um, they did not inquire of the Lord about this town. They did not pray to him. This was a mistake that was not the first time that Joshua and the other elders, the leadership of Israel, made this mistake. 
they had made it previously. So they don't ask the Lord about his uh, view of this, not realizing that there was a man there in Israel, Achan and his family, who disobeyed the Lord. There was, to put it in the words of Scripture, there was sin in the camp. And so they went out to battle this little town of Ai. In fact, they think this is going to be so easy, we don't even need to bother having all the soldiers go. We can just send out a small group of soldiers and take this town. It's such a small town. And when they got beat on the battlefield, in fact, uh, let's see, if verse Joshua 7, 5 tells us 36,000 men died. When they got beat, Joshua came back, tore or rent his clothes, fell to the earth before the ark of the Lord, and prayed to him and said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, allows us to be killed, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan River. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? When, what, what, what am I going to say to this when we're running before our enemies? And here's what God says in verse 10. Get up. Why are you lying on your face? Israel has sinned and they have transgressed or broken my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken, and he describes what they did, the, the commandment, they, they took things from Jericho, which God had reserved for himself. In a sense, kind of like a tithe is. He wants the first fruits. And God says, what's in Jericho's mine? You're not going to take it. And someone broke that. And so he said, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of you. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. It was the power of the Lord that was behind their conquering towns, and then God took his power away. I'm not going to do it because you guys have offended me and you've disobeyed me. And so, in a sense, Joshua was reminded that without the Lord, they couldn't do anything. The power of the Lord is what they needed. And so he obeyed, and that problem was taken care of. And then they went back out and conquered Ai. Uh, we're reminded in Numbers chapter 11 with Moses uh, years before that um, God still has power. Uh, this is a situation when the people in Israel are um, crying out to God, we don't like what we're eating. We want some meat. We're tired of manna. And in Numbers 11.10, Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, uh, weep. This is complaining, weeping. It's not just simply they're crying. They're complaining. They're whining and complaining. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. God was very upset. Moses also was displeased. Okay. But Moses, in part, was displeased with the Lord. Moses says unto the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Talk about himself. Wherefore have I not found favor in your sight? that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. You put me in a situation that's bad. I'm having to deal with all this. Why, you got, why do you have a problem with me? And he says, I'm not able to bear all this people alone. It's too heavy for me. 
And so the Lord says to Moses in Numbers eleven twenty three. The Lord said, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Wax just means grown. Is, is my power diminished? Has it grown short? My abilities diminished? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Well, that's because um, the Lord had told him, I'm going to send meat. And Moses had questioned that. And, the Mo and Moses was questioning the goodness of the Lord. And the Lord just says plainly to him, I still have power. In spite of what it appears to you, I still have power. And now you're going to see me do what I said I was going to do. And uh, that's exactly what the Lord did. What about our prayer life? Okay, sometimes in our prayer life, there is sin in the heart or in our life. Isaiah 59, verse 1, similar to what I just read there in Numbers, says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But then we go into this verse. But your iniquities, that's your sins, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, and then that last part, that he will not hear. So sometimes our prayers are not answered because we have regard in our heart for sin. Uh, we are okay with it. We let it stay. We let it remain. And so there's an example that I'd like to share uh, with you. Uh, this is from a book uh, called Power of Prayer, uh, written by a man whose name is R.A. Torrey. He lived in the first half of this past century. And he tells an account in the story where he's talking with a lady who attended the church that he was now pastoring. Now, I think he was somewhat new to the church, so he didn't know this lady that well. And he found out from some of the people in the church that she used to be a member of the church but was not currently a member of the church. And one day she was walking home, and he was walking home. They both happened to live where their houses were such that they could walk together the same uh, route. And he said to her that he had heard that she had one time been a member of the church, but that she wasn't now. And so he started asking her about that, and he found out, not long story short, he found out from her that she had been discouraged because she had prayed a prayer when her husband was alive, and she had, with faith, trusted that God was going to answer that. In fact, she quoted a verse to the pastor that says, Does not this, and she, I don't think she gave the reference to him, but this is the verse she was referencing. Uh, this is 1 John 3, 22, and whatsoever we ask, I'm sorry, this is not the verse. Um, I'm reading the wrong one here. Okay. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but it's a verse that says, Whatever we ask of him, uh, we have our petitions heard, the one I read to you earlier. And she says, doesn't the scripture say that? Basically, when we pray, God, the Lord will answer our prayer if we believe. And she's like, I believed. And he said, well, he said to her, the scripture does say something like that. He said, well, I believed, and I prayed for my husband's healing, and he died. And she got discouraged. The Lord didn't answer prayer. And I believed in my heart that he was going to 
um, that, that, that he was going to answer prayer and that, um, that he would come through this and, and be healed. And so she got discouraged in that. Well, he said a couple times during the conversation when she said, doesn't the scripture say that it'll answer prayer? And he said a couple times, it says something like that. It's like, well, if it doesn't say exactly that, what does it say? And he pointed to her, uh, the verse I almost read a moment ago, 1 John 3, 22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing his sight. And he asked her, are you the we that the verse is talking about? She's, what do you mean? Isn't that for all Christians? And he said, certainly it is not. And when we look at it again, it says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in sight. So he just said frankly to her, when you were praying that prayer, were, were you always doing those things that were pleasing to God? Were you, were you obeying him in your life? And she had to admit she was not. She said, well, he said to her, then this promise was not for you. This promise is for Christians who are honoring the Lord by following his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. And so that's an example. And that changed her life because prior to that, she was looking at God as a liar. You said you'd answer prayer. You didn't pray. And then she realized from the teaching of scripture that she misunderstood um, God's promises regarding prayer. Now, a further thought um, on uh, what we've been talking about so far, uh, I've kind of already alluded to it, prayer is always to be aligned to the glory of God. And so, when we read a verse such as John 14, 13, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Well, one who's walking by the Spirit of God, who is following his commandments, and always doing those things that are pleasing in his sight, 1 John 3, 22, will be a person who the glory of God is of prime importance. Because how can you be doing those things that are pleasing his sight, but not bringing him glory? And so John 14, 13, whatsoever you shall ask him a name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. So sometimes wrong motives or um, you know, ulterior motives other than the glory of God may be part of why our prayers are not answered. And certainly not obeying his commandments and doing things that are pleasing to sight is not bringing glory to God. These things are part of prayer. And I already quoted to you 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that everything that we're supposed to be doing is to bring glory to God. Okay, so our next thought. Oh, I guess I didn't put that verse up yet, did I? This is a key verse from that, uh, this sin in the heart or life. No, I, already, I did read that verse, is that right? Thank you, okay. Second there. There was a delay on this click, and I thought, oh, I didn't get that verse up yet. Okay, idols in the heart. Are you ever jealous? Well, you probably should be jealous sometimes. Sometimes we think of jealousy as negative, but jealousy is not necessarily negative. Sometimes there's a time to be jealous. Sometimes we think of jealousy maybe in negative ways. Uh, perhaps a husband that's overly jealous. 
like his wife just dares to talk to another guy. I mean, just simply talk to another guy. Maybe flies off the handle, gets jealous. Um, that kind of jealousy wouldn't be a great idea. Maybe kids in school, uh, their best friend is playing with someone else. They get jealous. Like, they're my friend. They're afraid they're going to lose their friend. And, and sometimes you get um, some cliques forming on that type of thing. Well, we're not talking about that kind of jealousy. The uh, Bible says God is jealous. Um, right there in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, he says, you, you will have no other gods before me. Okay? He is to be first. Now, that, that's not implying that you could have some other gods, just me first, please. Uh, but there's not to be another god in his place. He says, thou shalt not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Uh, in a later chapter, thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is one of the names of God. Now, I'd feel a little weird calling him that instead of dear Lord, you know, dear Jealous. And if I said that, especially in a group setting, you'd be like, you might even, if you forgot about that verse for a moment, it might seem really weird. But he says, my name is Jealous. Okay? I, the, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, I'm a jealous God. But he has the right to be jealous. You know, a husband who's jealous of his wife because his wife starts paying attention to another man in a way that's reserved only for a husband has a right to be jealous. And God is that way. Attention that should be given to him that only he has the right to have, he has a right to be jealous when that's not being given to him. And we're to put him first. Uh, Jesus, when asked about the greatest commandment, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is of the top importance of all the commandments in Scripture. So putting God first, he expects that. You get jealous when you don't do that, when I don't do that. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, when we don't put God first, we bump him out of his place of prime importance, number one in our lives. We essentially have an idol in our part. Something's taken his place, and he has a problem with that. And here in Ezekiel 14, 3, it ties it to prayer. These men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity or sin before their face. Like that's what they put in front of them to kind of worship and follow their sin. Should I be inquired at all by them? In other words, they come to me in prayer and ask me things, inquire of things. Should I even listen to that? No, when they've bumped me out of place in their heart as God, number one in their lives, and have replaced me with something else, why should I listen to them, is the verse. So sometimes that's the problem idols in our heart, an unforgiving uh, spirit. In Mark eleven twenty two, it says, uh, Jesus says to them, have faith in God. We've talked about that. God is the power behind prayer. I shared with you a little bit, um, kind of intro to Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And for time's sake, I won't read all of that account. But he, he does a challenge, and he tells the prophets of Baal, let's do this. You pray to your God, I'll pray to mine. We will build an altar, we'll put a sacrifice on it, 
and whichever god rains fire down from heaven, because normally the priests would light that on fire, whichever god rains fire down from heaven uh, because of our prayers, uh, that's the true god. And so they agreed to that contest. Um, there was, I believe, 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah was by himself. He let them go first. And all day long, they're praying, and uh, it's getting urgent. In fact, especially when Elijah starts to mock them, First Kings 18.27, he says, cry louder. Like, maybe you're not talking loud enough. Cry louder. Um, and for he is a god. Either he's talking, he's busy, he's talking to someone else. You've got to speak louder, get his attention. Okay? Or he is pursuing. Oh man, maybe he's off on a trip somewhere. Call louder so he hears that you're calling for him. Or peradventure he's asleep. Better wake him up. Now this is all just mocking uh, here. Uh, because so far they've gone hours of praying to their god, nothing happening. And they got more desperate. They did cry louder. And they started to cut themselves, probably thinking that somehow the, the cutting of themselves showed their sincerity to their God, and maybe he would listen to them. Nothing, uh, nothing happened. There was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Nothing happened. And then Elijah's turn comes up. So he has the uh, three different uh, sessions of having the people douse his altar and the wood with water such that a trench that had been built, built around it filled up he wants them to know that if there's any answer to his prayer it's God not some trickery there's no hidden coals in there and so he soaks his altar and then he prays a prayer after having them soak it three times and he says this hear me O Lord hear me out loud, by the way, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifices and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up or evaporated all the water that was in the trench. And you've got to be pretty hot to melt rock. Rock is meltable, as we all know, by looking at volcanoes, but that's got to be pretty hot. Okay, there's no trickery here. And here's what the people did. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, Jehovah, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And so they recognized who the true God was. Well, that's again an example of the power of God behind prayer. Okay, but things can prevent that power from being recognized. And in an unforgiving spirit, in Mark 11:25. When you stand praying, forgive. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The implication. You want to pray? You need to forgive. You don't have a forgiving spirit. God's not going to forgive you. And especially one of the major prayers we have is, Lord, forgive me for what I've done wrong. We ask forgiveness for sins. Well, we need to have a spirit of forgiveness. Hey, is there someone in our lives that we just refuse to forgive? Well, we're in jeopardy of our prayers themselves not being answered by the Lord when we refuse to do so. Okay, stinginess in our giving. You know, the Lord loves people. That's evident from the, you know, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
Verse 17, he sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God loves the world and wants to see them saved. But God is dishonored when the poor are abused. Proverbs 14, 31, he that oppresses the poor, abuses them, reproaches his maker, God. But he that honors the poor, um, or, sorry, I read that wrong, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. The person that honors God has mercy on the poor. Hey, this is important to the Lord. One of the major condemnations in the Old Testament prophets is the abuse of people. Uh, an example of this is Amos chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. You know, the prophet Amos was speaking to that type of people. Okay? Hear this word, you that oppress the poor, who say to the, you know, you look at this last word, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. In other words, the people that were in leadership, probably through taxes, were living lavish lifestyles. They would say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. Let's enjoy life. Okay, let's, let's be able to party together. And whether they realized it consciously or not, they were profiting on the backs of the poor. And they, did, uh, they, they may have known that, or they may not have. Because sometimes the poor were weeping under the oppression in their private homes. Um, well, that was commonplace in Israel, and that was a major reason why God sent the nation of Israel into captivity. Well, here's a verse in Proverbs 21, verse 13, that goes with this idea. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry. He'll pray. He'll cry out to God, but shall not be heard. Hey, when we don't have compassion on people, then God won't answer our prayers. He won't have compassion on our prayers and on us. And then lastly, a wrong treatment of a husband or wife can cause our prayers not to be answered. Because God cares about marriage. He doesn't just care about the marriage itself. He also cares about the picture that he's painting through the marriage. Because God desires that our marriage marriages are um, a metaphor uh, for the church's relationship to Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 5 touches on this, as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Next verse, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And then in verse 32, this is a great mystery, speaking of marriage. But then he clarifies, but, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, because he just got done speaking a lot about husband and wife relationships, but then he says, I've got a, a deeper truth here that I'm speaking about, I speak concerning Christ and the church. The Lord's not honored when our marriages don't honor him. And our prayers not, might not be answered when our marriages don't honor him. 2 Corinthians 11.2 God says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So God's not happy with us as a church 
when we're not faithful to our husband, to Christ. But God's also not happy with our individual marriages when that's the case. And so 1 Peter 3, verse 7 tells us this, Husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, that your prayers be not hindered. And so sometimes that can be a reason why God does not answer prayer. Well, the title of the message was, or is, Effectual Prayer. I'm going to put up uh, that slide again with that verse. But then I want to share some things with you. I'll get to what the picture's about in a moment, so don't um, think on that too long and hard. I'll explain why it's there, but I want to share a couple other thoughts. I hope this is encouraging to us this morning. Well, both encouraging and instructive, maybe even motivational. We as a church need to pray on a regular basis, but we need to pray as we're looking for our next pastor. Do we want it to be effectual, like actually be effective and actually work? We just went through seven things, I'll put back up, that can hinder that. If this is what describes us as a church, the Lord will not hear our prayer. Or, if this describes any of us individually, the Lord may hear the prayers of the people in the room that are living for the Lord and do not have these hindrances, and it may be because of those prayers our prayers are answered. But if there's anyone who has these things that are characteristic of lives, it won't be your prayer that will be the key. And I hope that uh, this message just burns within us a desire that we're one of those people the Lord actually listens to. Well, right after that account with Elijah, where he had this great victory over the prophets of Baal, with the fire raining down and consuming that altar, uh, he instructed the people in Israel to annihilate the prophets of Baal, these false gods, who had been at the instruction of the Lord. Sometimes people have bad things to say about God because they think, oh, that isn't nice. You know, God alone has the authority to end life. The Bible even says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. God has the appointment. He can do that. There's nothing wrong on God's part to decide that. I mean, the fact that God lets any of us live when the wages of sin is death, and yet he lets us still live after uh, we have sinned, is amazing and and is to be and he is to be praised for that okay but elijah had this great victory over the prophets of baal and immediately after that he says to king ahab the wicked king who supported all those prophets he said uh, to him get up eat and drink for there is a sound of abundance of rain well they had gone three years of drought at the prayer of elijah no rain for three years. And now Elijah says immediately after that, better get up. Basically, you better get back to your house. <laughs> better get under some shelter. It's about ready to have a downpour. And then he sent his servant up to a, a top of a mountain called Carmel. And he says, go up, go up top and look out towards the sea. That had a view of the, the Mediterranean Sea. And look for any rain clouds. And he went up and he came back and said, there's nothing. And the Bible says he said, go again seven times. I think the understanding there is he had him do it six more times. Go up, come back. Nope, go up, come back. 
well, he's getting some good exercise that day, running up and down the side of this mountain. And it says, it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, this is the servant, came back down, said, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And Elijah said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare your chariot and get down, you better get back quick, that the rain stop you not. And it says, it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. <laughs> but you know, what's interesting, that's 1 Kings 18, it didn't take that long for Elijah himself to have a discouraging moment. In the very next chapter, because Ahab's not happy about this, Ahab didn't, he was not one of those that said, oh, Jehovah's the real God, I'm going to worship him. No, he's upset. He's upset he lost the contest, he's upset all his prophets got killed. Uh, he has no love for the Lord. And he is hunting Elijah now to kill him. And Elijah gets discouraged at that. Okay? And he says in 1 Kings 19, 14, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. You know, jealous that people aren't worshiping this other God, this false God, Baal. I've been jealous for God, doing the right thing. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy commandment, thrown down thine altars, and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And so he got discouraged, he got down. So sometimes that happens, we're humans. I don't know if anyone's down in not having a pastor right at this moment, but I would like to encourage us to be encouraged. The God who has the power to answer prayer is also the God that has the power to lead and guide. Um, but our temptation may be to be like Elijah. And here was uh, God's answer to him. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he basically told Elijah, you're not alone. It feels like that, you're down, you're not alone. I've got other people in Israel that honor me. And we see victory in Elijah's life. Two quick examples, and I'm, I'm past time here, so I'm going to say them super quick, and I'll just have to leave out a lot of the details. I was very encouraged to hear our missionary, Mike Reddick, who's in our bulletin today. I didn't know that was going to be the case. But when he came and shared some of his own answers to prayer that he had in our church uh, two or three years ago, I think it was in 2021 when he came, that was very encouraging. He had the types of prayers answered like Elijah has had answered. I talked to him privately on the side, and he said those kind of prayers like that, like praying and then a huge rainstorm comes, or praying and fire from heaven, those things are few and far between in his life. We, we should not expect that successful prayer life, you see those unusual prayers all the time. I mean, how many times do they happen with Elijah? He wasn't calling fire down left and right day after day, but there's a few times when God saw fit to answer in a miraculous way. I was very encouraged to hear that. If you want to hear any of those accounts, I don't have time to share it right now. I would like to also share with you a recent answer to prayer in our church. I was personally encouraged by some of you that are in the room. We've been praying for the Lord to provide um, staff. Let me come back to this picture here. The Lord has answered that prayer. Um, I'm in the picture there. I'm uh, the one on the right. 
and perhaps you've met Slava Starikov on the left. Um, we've been uh, praying for the Lord to answer um, our prayer for um, a staff member. Slava's coming our direction. Now, Slava's uh, been teaching in Russia and also as a pastor. Um, in case you're wondering, well, did you ask him if he wants to be our pastor? He is feeling the Lord directing him to more of a full-time teaching ministry and away from being a, um, a senior pastor in a church. But I did mention our need of the pastor. Uh, I talked with him uh, more than a year ago, and then, I, and then I reached out to him again uh, in early May, I think maybe even April, about our need for teachers. And, uh, and I even mentioned, it's like right after I knew Pastor Brent wasn't going to be coming here, I even reached out regarding that. But I was encouraged when I mentioned to our staff in the last staff meeting we had in a year, and I saw their reactions. It was the reactions of joy and excitement. Now, I didn't uh, confirm this with them, but I, I'm 100% confident that I know it's the case. My staff have been praying with me on, um, on not only on teacher in our school, but a couple of them knew that I was specifically talking to Slava and um, they were taking this petition before the Lord and the excitement on their faces and the relief and, and just the joy of an answered prayer. I think for our church, this is a, a current example of answered prayer. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, not just we have a teacher in our school, but he's going to become a part of our church and join us. And I think he's going to be a great blessing uh, to us here in the ministry. And I don't know what all his role is going to be, um, but he's a gifted uh, teacher, and uh, he has uh, three degrees, um, and um, his PhD is in Old Testament interpretation, so uh, someone that can uh, maybe be a blessing to us in understanding the Bible more. So I'm excited about that. And I wanted to share those examples with you because I, I just want you to be encouraged that the Lord does answer prayer. But I'll close with that one verse I read earlier, 1 John 3:22. Whatsoever we ask... We receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. But unless those are true, then we are not the we that the verse is referring to. But I certainly hope as a church that we are that we and that the Lord will answer our prayer. Um, so now a call on us as a church. Would you come together, me included, and petition the Lord for our next pastor? but also for other things that we need in life. All right, now, um, Ephron, I believe at this time I'm turning